change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podsky Wee I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, I say it every week, but we got a lot to get into this week because for the first time in 2023, we have an actual football game to discuss. Yes, it was a preseason game, but it is a game nonetheless. But before we get into the Ticats victory over the Argos last Saturday, you had a bit of an eye-opening interaction with a, an employee from TSN in regards to one of your most consistent gripes with their CFL broadcast. What exactly happened over the weekend with you? Well, I was, I was at work, I believe it was a Saturday and, uh, you know, I was a little bit bored and I was thinking about the timeouts on the screen during a TSM broadcast, because the other night I noticed that the CEBL broadcasted the game on TSN and they had the timeouts on the screen for each team. And I thought, damn, it took them less than a year. Like this is one of their first broadcast games on TSN. I'm not sure if the league itself did the production or TSN did the production. Um, the point doesn't really matter. Uh, but I was just wondering why the CFL doesn't have the same thing. So I, I tweeted out to a couple members of uh, TSN, including the senior live event producer, Chris Edwards. And he got back not, to not me. To be, not to be confused with Hamilton Tiger Cats, Sam Linebacker, Chris Edwards, of course. No, 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 no. But yeah, he got back to me. He was a little confused about my question at first, which kind of baffled me. But eventually I, I, I re-asked the question and he told me that they have plans to add timeouts to the score bug. It's a miracle. I mean, look what we've done, people. We've actually got timeouts on the screen. And maybe, I mean, it wasn't in the preseason game. So if this isn't, if I don't see this the first game of the season, Josh, there's going to be hell to pay. Because... This isn't some major production that they have to go through to add these things to the screen. It's just a couple of lines, a couple of dots at the bottom of the screen. It's easy enough, and it should have been done a long time ago. But all will be forgiven if I see timeouts on the screen in that first regular season game. Yeah, I was going to mention the the one preseason game. What was it? The Owls and the Red Blacks game. It, the score bug looked the exact same. I mean, it's looked that way for years now. They haven't really made any major changes to that in quite some time. But if this is true, and I see no reason not to believe Mr. Edwards, he clearly has an inside information on what it's going to look like. I get that they would wait until the regular season, more eyeballs on the product, a larger audience to to, to debut something like that. So I totally get that. But June 8th is a couple of weeks. It's, it's less than two weeks now until the opener between BC and Calgary. And I'm with you, man. If we don't see that change... We're going to come back on here and absolutely crush them, will we not? Like, I'll, I'll tag Chris Edwards in the damn post of the show 
and say like, listen to the first 10 minutes of this. Cause we're ripping your ass apart mm-hmm. for now. I'm willing to take the wait and see approach. He says it's coming. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. It'll be, I, I kind of hope it's not just the same score bug. We've always seen with some dots. I hope that there's some, some revamps there because, and we've talked about this a lot, the production for CFL and TSN the last decade or so has been really stale. If this is a step in the right direction, it's something that you've been complaining about now for how long? And I mean, I'm not going to, you know what? No, tell that I ain't going to, you got this done, buddy. This was all you, your incessant (laughs) complaining, your correct and rightful complaining. You got this done. They're, they're, they're probably sick of you tagging them in tweets, even though, even though you deactivated your Twitter account a while ago, but now that it's back up, they know, they know who the real deal is. I'm, I'm giving you all the credit for this. Are you willing to take it? I'm willing to take it, Josh. You know, okay. I, I'm going to give myself some credit this time because, you know, I did bug them quite a bit, even on the Podski account going back in the last year or so. So I, I just think that it's such an easy thing to add. And it would, I mean, I want to know how many timeouts my team has. That's all. Like, is, is it that difficult? So, um, yeah, it's going to be a, a nice addition to the broadcast if if they pull through. If they pull through. You know what the first 10 minutes of that next show will be after that? We'll be praising them for it. Look what they yep. made some changes. They freshened things up. It's a step in the right direction. Just like this uh, CFL Plus, CFL Preseason Live thing, step in the right direction. We don't we don't need perfection. We just want improvement. This would be a massive improvement. So in two weeks' time, when, when you and I sit down to record our first episode after the first weekend of the CFL regular season – Fans got something to look forward to. Either we're going to be on here spitting piss and vinegar at, at TSN for not coming through, or we're going to do something we rarely do, which is give TSN credit for making some changes. So tune in in two weeks, and you'll get our our honest reviews of what the new score bug looks like on the CFL and TSN broadcast. But let's move on now. Enough of what we could see. Let's talk about something we did see. And now is the time for a discussion of an actual football game. The first actual football game we got to watch in 2023. Unfortunately, due to a scheduling conflict between myself and Mike, we could not give you the listeners a live post game show last week, but instead we're going to kick it old school, do a, do a classic game review here on the show proper. So let's kick it off here on Saturday. Our Hamilton Tiger cats defeated the Toronto Argonauts 27, 22 in front of what is reported as over 20,000 fans at Tim Hortons field on Saturday afternoon and evening. The crowd seemed really into the game from start to finish, which is not always normal for a preseason contest. But before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of, of Saturday afternoon, Mike, if you would be so kind, uh, could, could do you have your phone handy? I do. I do. May, may, may I ask you to open your phone and would you share with the audience a test me- a text message that I sent to you early on in the second quarter that, this is not a bit. This is a 100% real message that I sent Mike. Do you, do you remember what, what I sent you? It's 18 minutes into the preseason, and I feel comfortable saying we're going 20-0 and 0 this year. <laughs> and what was and your I, response I replied, no doubt in my mind. No <laughs> doubt in my mind. It's, it's, it, I mean, how could you not think that the way that the team performed early on with the starters out there, right? Absolutely. The way I look at it, it's a wrap. Let's get the banner made. Let's plan the parade because the title is coming back where it belongs. All jokes aside, though, it was a pretty good performance from the team. Sent the crowd home happy. I think one of the reasons the crowd went home jubilant and probably part of the reason why they were so amped up at the beginning of the game was to see the Hamilton Tiger Cats debut of Bo Levi Mitchell. Bo played an only two series on Saturday, but he completed 
three of six pass attempts for 63 yards and an absolute beauty of a touchdown pass to Richie Sindani. It was a brief but memorable debut in black and gold for Bo. You got to see what he did. I know you didn't watch all the game, um, but you were able to watch some of it. What did you make of Bo's performance in the limited time that he was on the field on Saturday? Uh, the stat sheet says three and six uh, for Bo, but it should have been at least four and six because that first pass of the game yep. for him, he went downfield. Maybe it wasn't a perfect pass, but it was it was definitely catchable for McGriff. And, uh, you know, I remembered you saying that McGriff, you know, he's he's a talented guy, big dude, ton of potential, has the dropsies. Yeah. Has had a case of the dropsies in training camp. And we saw that in the first pass attempt of the game from Bo Levi Mitchell. That should have been a, a touchdown pass because he would have been probably gone at the very least a very long completion. Oh, it, w- it would have been a touchdown pass. McGriff is fast. Like he's big, but he's also fast. He'd have caught that. He, he it, no one would have touched him. It was it was a TD for sure, without question. So for for Bolivar Mitchell to come out in the first snap of the preseason to ch- chuck it downfield like that uh, filled me with confidence in this guy. That this guy, that the shoulder is okay. Uh, I still hear people because I I listen to a lot of radio. You know, there's CFL heads, certain guys talk on the radio quite a bit. Are you know from Three Down Nation? Uh, John Hodge does a lot of hits. Dunk does a lot of hits. You know, there's been question marks about Bo Levi Mitchell still and his shoulder going into the season. Uh, not from those guys necessarily, but it, it's just it's just nice to see him chuck the ball down the field first play. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with the concerns over Bo's shoulder health. He's had a bum shoulder now for three years running. Like, I, I get that. But then you see, I've seen what he's done pretty much. I think over the course of the two weeks that training camp's been on, I think I've missed maybe two sessions. So I've seen a lot of what Bo has been capable of doing. And what I saw on Saturday is exactly what I've been seeing and what I've been telling you both publicly on the show and privately when we, when we message what I've been seeing from Bo since day one, the arm strength is there. The, the swagger is there. The confidence is there. I, I sent you that message in jest, but I see again with, with when the star, and I know they were playing a lot of backups for Toronto, but that that those first couple of series, there were there were some starting players on the Argos defense that were out there, and especially in that first half. And Hamilton went into the locker room up 17-0. And Bo looked confident. Bo looked good. The one thing, and I'm curious to get your kind of read on it. Do you get the sense that when when Bo has a play call, that his first read is for the deep throw? Because that's sort of what I've started to notice both in camp. And, and and again, it was admittedly limited, but you mentioned the very first play of the game was a deep pass. The Sindani touchdown was a deep pass. I think he had another 15 plus yard completion to, uh, I think it was Tim White. It seems as if Bo's predilection is to look deep first and then come back down through the, the progression chart. Mm. Whereas I feel like with, with Dane last year, I almost feel as if it was more of, Let's just make the completion, especially when he was really struggling and things were getting in his head. It was almost like, let me just pile some short completions to build that confidence back up. You look at Bo and the way he's, there's no confidence issue there whatsoever. Like he doesn't seem like the arms bothering him at all. And he's been throwing quite like he did almost the majority of team reps today. And we'll talk about what I saw today at training camp a little later. He looks Again, he's 33. He's got a decade in the league. I won't say he's he looks as good as ever, but 
it that the bow we saw in that short span of time on Saturday looked nothing like the one that got benched last year in Calgary. He looks like he's almost rejuvenated on this new team, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think Bo Levi Mitchell, for the first time in his CFL career, has a serious chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you know, early on in his career, he did make the NFL, so he was overlooked there. But since he's been in the CFL, he's been the guy, right? Except for maybe a couple years where you could compare him to Mike Riley. Maybe you'd, you'd be close one and two comparison. But even though, even during those years, I think the majority uh, uh, of media and fans would say that Bo Levi Mitchell was the best quarterback in this league. So for him to face a little bit of adversity, I, I think that's going to help him. I think he's going to be, you know, a, a man that just will not be denied this season, uh, whether that be in passing yards or, or wins or whatever. I think he's going to be come out and he's going to be determined to show everybody, hey, I'm still that guy. Yeah, definitely. And and I think that that permeates through the rest of the team because you, you saw a lot of guys kind of step up. One one player uh, will move on from Bo, unless there's something else you want to talk about with Bo. But I just don't think there's, at least for me, yeah, he had no, two series. I don't, and, I don't want to. I don't want to overblow his yeah. performance in the preseason. He looked really good, and, and that's where we'll leave it. Yeah, we're going to look forward to seeing how he performs yep. against the Bombers in a couple of weeks when the season gets started. So when Bo went out, faced the franchise off on the bench, goes out late. He had two. He had two series. I think late in the first quarter when he went out. Taylor Powell, the rookie quarterback, came in and took over for the remainder of the game. He goes twenty of twenty six for two hundred ninety three yards, one touchdown, two picks, and a fumble. For a kid playing in his first pro game, I thought he showed some promise. What did you make of Powell's performance? Obviously, the uh, two interceptions you don't like to see and the fumble, but you're exactly right. For a young kid to come in, 20 to 26, that's pretty good. You know, almost 300 yards through the air. That's a pretty good for performance for, for a young kid in his first preseason game, I'd say. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree. The the only... the you, Fumbles happen, uh, but I mean, you get we get PTSD with fumbles after what happened with Dane <laughs> early last season. The yeah. one interception, the I think it was the first pick. He goes for a deep pass to uh, Justin McGriff, who's a six-six wide receiver. Throws it deep on a fifty-fifty ball, underthrows it a little bit. DB picks it off. Okay, the only the only questionable throw for me that he had was the one on the second interception where he's scrambling. It's a broken play, so I get he's trying to make a play, but he clearly underthrew it. As soon as I saw it leave his hands and I saw where the def- like where he was throwing it and w- I knew the Argo defender was going to make a break on it and intercept it. That's probably the only one out of out of his mistakes that I would take back. But otherwise, I thought for a guy who was pl- like I said playing in his first professional game, I think he showed more as a passer than we saw from last year's number 3 Jamie Newman who's unfortunately mm. not in camp right now so doesn't really have a chance to compete but we saw him, Jamie Newman, start the Labor Day Classic, and we know how bad the offense was in that one. Didn't score a point. The only points they scored were on defense. Well, they didn't let him throw the ball. You know what I mean? They like, did. It was just like, it was crazy. The run, 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 run. Yeah. You, and you, but you got to wonder if that was just, we know he's not capable of doing it at the pro level where, mm-hmm. and again, it's a preseason game, so you're you're less worried about those mistakes because at the end of the day, the points on the scoreboard don't really matter. But... I saw a quarterback, uh, like, again, he looked like your stereotypical first-year CFL quarterback where flashes of brilliance, boneheaded plays, but I thought for the most part he he played a decent game. And he was and, brought in late in camp, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He came in, 
camp had already started before he got into got it. Like it was probably yeah. good five, six days. Might have even been the second weekend that he showed up. So I, I look, here's the thing. If he plays he played decent in this one. If he plays any meaningful snaps for the team this year, they're we're screwed. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like because that means Bo and Matthew Schiltz went down. They're not going to win anything. But as a guy that you could maybe develop into something, either either one of those backups like Calgary used to do that they'll trade somewhere else, you know what I mean, or something like that. I, I think he I think he's worth sticking around and developing. So I, I I again wasn't overblown by what he did, but you can see that the potential is there to maybe one day way down the line turn into something effective. The quarterbacks are only as good though as their receivers, and the Ticats had some pretty good performances from their pass catchers on Saturday. Who stood out to you in particular? Uh, well, besides the drop, uh, McGriff made some really good plays out there. I'm looking at, uh, you know, Terry Godwin made a couple of catches. He was targeted three times, made every catch thrown his way for 46 yards. Uh, you know, Tim White only had one catch for 16 yards. He probably wasn't in there very long. Um, there's not like, I guess McGriff is McGriff and Smith. Forgive me, everyone. I just, I didn't see the whole game. I only saw you know, the first couple of drives and then I was back and forth, back and forth because I was at work. But the numbers are saying that Smith uh, had close, I think the most yard, no, McGriff had the most yards. Smith had the second most yards. So I'm just curious about Terry Godwin. Do you think he pencils into the equation as a starter? That's a tough one because he's got a little bit of experience from last year, but he's more of a slot back than he would be a, that traditional American wide receiver, like McGriff McGriff to me has won the starting job as, Mm -hmm. especially with Anthony Johnson's injury that we will get to later on in the show. I think McGriff has won the starting job as the team's boundary receiver. And the Mm -hmm. team is going with two Canadians in the receiving core. I mean, I know you mentioned McGriff, the one guy you you forgot, Richie Sandani actually led the team receiving yards. Um, But he, he did that on two catches and one of them was a big touchdown pass. So, it's not as if he was super involved, but he, and so Danny was, he caught, I think he caught the big pass that led to the final touchdown, the, the felt mate score, uh, which I believe was uh Powell's lone touchdown pass in this one. So the team is going, Keandre Smith is going to be a starter. Even though Sindani is going to be suspended for the first two games, I'm getting the inclination that once he comes back, he's going to be in the starting lineup. We know that Duke's going to start. We know that, Tim White's going to start. There's not really a spot here mm-hmm. for Terry Godwin, but right. I look at it like, cause the way I look at it, when, cause when you got to, again, we know this and, and I'm sure most of our listeners know this because if they're listening to us, they're probably pretty hardcore CFL fans. Ratio roster makeup is a thing. It's one of the reasons why you rarely see two American running backs. So as good as Godwin can be, you look at the American receiver situation and you go, well, you, you know you got McGriff, you know you got Duke, you know you got Timmy White. We'll get to him a little bit later in our game review, but Leandre Gallimore probably solidified a spot for himself, if not in the receiving core, then as the team's return man. Anthony Johnson's still here. You got Terry Godwin. Omar Bayless has looked pretty good both in camp and in the game. It, it's it, – I don't know if I – like – to. If you ask me, the question you asked is if he's a starter. I don't think so. I just don't think mm-hmm. there's a spot for him in the starting group. I think he could start if he had to, or if the team decides to change the ratio and decide to go. I think Godwin's the first guy off the bench if they go four Americans, one Canadian versus three Americans, two Canadians. 
it's 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 hard to find a spot for him and that's kind of the the story of this team right now is after that first preseason game and I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole of talking about other stuff but I don't see a lot of holes left on this team to fill I think a lot of the question marks we had of who could be where were have been answered at least for me over the course of the last couple of weeks in camp but we're kind of solidified on Saturday in that preseason game so yeah, I like he's got a ton of talent. I, mm-hmm. I think he, he could be he could be one of those guys that gets cut, gets picked up by another team, and becomes a superstar. You know what I mean? Like I think he's got that potential in him. I just don't know if there's a spot for him here. That's that's the that's the tough part about being a young American guy trying to crack a roster up here when there's so many good ones. It's 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 a good problem to have though. At the end of the day, no, absolutely. So they came in. This is like the the starting receiving group was. McGriff, the boundary side wide receiver, mm-hmm. Tim White, the boundary side slot back, and Sandani as the inside slot back on the field side, uh, Duke Williams as the other slot back, and then Smith as the wide receiver. Yep. You could see something similar to that in the regular season, you're saying, with maybe yep. the exception of McGriff, uh, maybe if Johnson is healthy, filling in for McGriff? Yeah, uh, no, I, honestly, I think McGriff is overtaking Johnson now. Okay, I think, okay. I think injury aside... If I think if Anthony Johnson was healthy, I still think they'd, they'd go with McGriff. And I think because of – if you're going to ask me right now who I think the starting five is going to be on opening day, I'd go McGriff, White, Keandre Smith, it, where Sindani is, Duke, and Chris Osikusi. And that's okay, only right. because because Sindani is suspended. Yeah. Otherwise, right. I think, otherwise, I think that the unit we saw – on Saturday will be the starters in week. I think Sandani's eligible to come back week three. The home opener, I think, is when Sandani can come back. I, that to me, barring injury over that time frame, I think those are going to be your starting five. So you know, there's some some new guys in there, but you could also say there's some depth within the receiving core too, because you mentioned guys like Godwin and then a guy like Gallimore who showed his speed on the field. Maybe he can be, you know, if there's injuries or anything, incorporated into the receiving core as well. So I, I think that that group is pretty solid. And you know what the, the thing, what's one of the things that we've screamed, remember when June Jones had all those small guys, Jalen Saunders, Speedy B, mm-hmm. Luke Tasker, what are we all, what were we always screaming about? We need some size. Justin McGriff is huge. Duke Williams is a big dude. Sindani's not a small man either. And then no, you got, he's not really small either. No, but he's, he's on the smaller end of those guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Though? Like, yeah. But you have your speed guys in in Keandre Smith and and Tim White. You have your possession guy in Duke, and you have your big bodies. And it's a very well rounded group. Maybe the most well rounded receiving group this team has had. Geez, maybe since you know Chris Williams, Bakari Grant, that era. You know what I Bantus. mean? Like, yeah, like it's yeah, maybe maybe 2012, 2013. when mm-hmm. they had a, a good they had like Bakari and Fantuz as your bigger guys. You had. Luke Tasker as your underneath guy. And you had a guy like, I mean, Chris Williams wasn't there anymore, but you know what I mean? They, they had some speedy guys out there. It's a, it's a pretty impressive receiving group. If, 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 uh, if I don't say so myself, it wouldn't be a potty game review, however, without discussing the offensive line. So Mike, what did you make of the performance of the men up front, especially when you saw the first starting five with, with the group with Bo? I, I thought they looked tremendous out there. I thought, eight, Bo looked, I thought Bo looked very comfortable in the pocket. As you could tell in that first pass, he just sat back there, waited for McGriff to get open, and then he chucked it downfield. So, you know, I, I couldn't be happier with this group that they have uh, acquired along the offensive line. I think it's the best group we've had since we've started Podsky. Um, so, yeah, I think Bo's going to have a lot of time back there. Like we saw, 
in the first couple of series in this preseason game. Yeah, it's been kind of nice to not have to worry about who's going to play left tackle and who's mm-hmm. going to do this and who's going I don't I think again, not sure what the health status of Chris Van Zyl is, but it looks like this unit with the two American tackles and the three Canadians on the interior is what the team's going to go with. Uh, I think that's why they're they, I, I don't know if they have to, but I think that is why they're going with two Canadians in the receiving core. Maybe when Van Zyl comes back, that changes up. But I thought Riley as the right tackle held up fairly well. I thought the line itself did a really great job. And I guess we can kind of morph this into now a discussion of the run game because the run game kind of comes and goes as the offensive line does as well. Uh, I thought it was decent despite, you know, pedestrian-ish numbers. Like they put up 70 total rush yards. It was five yards per carry. They threw the ball 32 times. They only ran the ball 15. And six of them came on that final offensive drive when they were trying to milk the clock. Uh, Trey Ragus led the team with 35 yards on the ground. But James Butler had just three carries, but put up 19 yards. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's he broke a couple tackles on, on one of his runs. Did this game give you any more or less confidence that the run game will be featured more in 2023? Or are you about the same? I'm about the same on this one, Josh. I I, I just think it's so hard to tell in the preseason because they're not, you know, game planning as much. I would assume it's more of you know just evaluation mm-hmm. uh, of the players and stuff like that. Obviously, so um, yeah, it doesn't really change my opinion of how much or how little they're going to run this year. You had to take a little solace in the fact, though, that Butler put up Looked almost it. put up almost over or not almost put up over six yards per carry. Mm-hmm. On, on his three carries. Now, I don't know if you, he could handle that over. Uh, uh, I mean, he's probably not going to get a 25 carry game or even a 20 carry game very often this year. But yet you have to like what you saw out of him and just that that brief little moment of action. And, uh, you know, maybe this is the first step in sort of the James Butler apology tour coming because a lot That's, of people yeah. spend a lot of time this winter slagging the team for signing him. And he's looked great in camp and in, in a very short amount of time. Looked pretty darn good on uh, on Saturday as well. Uh, I want James Butler to have like the the two thousand yards. I know this is never gonna happen. Mm-hmm. I want him to show everyone that you know doubted the move that the Tiger Cats made the right move because I I do believe that the Tiger Cats made the right move by bringing in James Butler and I want him to stick it up everybody's you know what. Yep, I am 100% on board with that as well. Let's flip to the other side of the ball and start with one of the very few position battles on this team, and that is the competition to see who the boundary corner will be when the season begins. Rookie Kenneth George Jr. got the start and finished with one tackle while his chief competitor, Will Sunderland, played. I mean, George played a fair amount of the game. I think he played it well into the third quarter. Sunderland, however, did not register a statistic. But numbers like that aren't really that important for for defensive backs. If they're putting up a lot of tackles, that's usually not a good thing. After Saturday, from what you were able to see, do you think either player now has a leg up on the other? Or are you still undecided on who you think will eventually snag the starting spot? I'm so undecided. I didn't see enough from them or enough of the game to make a judgment call on that. I will say on the other side, on the field side corner, I thought Lawrence Woods played pretty well. Um, you know, there was a couple hits in there that uh, knocked the ball loose. Uh, I saw a couple highlight plays from him. So um, no, none on the, on the boundary side corner, uh, but I thought Woods played pretty decently after, you know, you know, a lot of questions about him filling in, in that cornerback spot. 
Yeah, there was there was con- I had concerns. I won't lie, I had concerns about Lawrence Woods filling in as as the field corner simply because I remember in very limited action last year when he was forced due to injury to come in, did not look good. But he is mm-hmm. by trade a defensive back. That's what he played when he was in college. He just so happens to be otherworldly fast and therefore also gets a chance to return. Although now that he's It's interesting kind of, now, right? It's interesting that, now that yeah. That's just it. He's kind of locked into that. I, like, I think Lawrence Woods is going to be the field side corner for this team when the season opens. And because of what we saw on special teams, maybe he doesn't have to do the dual role this year like Frankie Williams did when he was a special teams player of the year. But I think that that might be that you always have Woods in your back pocket, sort of the speedy B effect on offense, right? Like mm-hmm. once, once, once Brandon Banks took over as like the guy in the receiving core, he was used less and less on special teams. But every now and then, Oh, you know, we need a we need a big return. Let's let, let's send sixteen back there. It could be the same sort of thing where maybe the return game's not doing much, and and Reinbold and Co. kind of look over at Woods and goes eight, go get out there and, and make a play. Um, as far as the the boundary corner stuff, I think this is now Kenneth George Jr.'s job to lose, and I a lot a lot of that, however, is due to me seeing him at training camp. I I, I was paying attention somewhat to both of those guys. Uh, I think they played about even. But George did get a majority of the snaps, so I think the team is maybe leaning towards that way. But with Woods, I, I want to talk more about him just because I thought he was great. Like, yeah. he had an amazing interception, came from—it was an underthrown ball by Ben Holmes on a 50-50 ball, but Woods was in that guy's pocket. You know what I mean? Like, he was step-for-step step with with the intended receiver, so it's not as if it was, oh, the receiver had blown by him for five yards and Holmes just couldn't get it to him. That was that was a 50-50 ball that 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 uh, Woods came down with, but he also nearly had a pick earlier in the game that kind of caromed off his hands on the play that saw Curly Gittins Jr. unfortunately get hurt, and I, he didn't return to the game. Obviously, if anyone gets hurt in a preseason game, they're usually not not coming back. But we thought this field corner spot would be one that would see some competition, but it looks like that couldn't be further from the truth. I look at all the training camp sessions I've been to. Woods has been the starter since day one. I His play on Saturday, I don't think, gives us any reason to think that anyone else but him will be playing in that spot when the season kicks off in Winnipeg. It, it was a very impressive performance from someone that I had some major question marks. Because I remember we, you and I had discussed the two corner spots being open. And then I saw a piece from Steve Milton that said only one corner spot was open. I'm just thinking, like, who's the guy locked in at? at the other one. Cause he was always talking boundary corner, boundary corner, boundary corner. I'm like, well, who's locked in as the field corner. And then when I saw it was Lawrence Woods on day one at camp, I was like, Oh really? They're going with Woods. He's been pretty good. Do you feel confident that he can like, now that it looks like he won't be the team's primary return guy, you confident he can hold up as, as the, as the field corner. I mean, he's not going to see much action, right? Like you don't get a ton of action out there, but right. from, from what you saw on Saturday, you gotta be pretty impressed. Yeah. From what I, from what I saw, he looked pretty good out there. And, you know, I know that, that that's not as long a throw as it used to be with the hash marks moving in last season. But, you know, it's still a long throw out there. And you have a guy like Woods with that kind of speed. You know, if he can do what he did in this preseason, in the regular season, we could see a couple of pick sixes from him. For sure, for sure. Okay, linebackers have been a hot topic over the offseason with the turning over of two-thirds of that unit that was beloved from last year. Did anything on Saturday that you saw convince you that this year's group could be better than last year's? Not a ton, no. I do think that this this unit can be, you know, near the top of the league for this season, but nothing that I saw really blew me away uh, during this preseason game. 
linebackers have been the hardest area for me to judge because you don't they don't really hit in practice and they're kind of that middle line of defense where you you only really see them if they mess up i think simone had a near pass knockdown that went for a, a big ish gain yeah it's, it's really tough to kind of look at these guys maybe i'll try to pay more attention to them on friday although it's kind of hard you when you're watching on TV, it's not as easy as watching a preseason game in person because you can you can decide, oh, I'm, I'm going to focus on the Sam linebacker on these next mm-hmm. four plays and see how he does. But those could also be the four worst plays he has of the game, and then you ignore him the rest of the way, and he has a stellar mm-hmm. outing, so it's really hard to do. Uh, okay, let, let, let's move on then. Not much talk about the linebackers. We'll talk about the defensive line. What were your thoughts on the performance of the defensive line? The Argos were limited to 61 yards on the ground on 18 carries. That's a 3.8 yards per carry average. And the team registered two sacks with one coming on the third play of the game when Malik Carney buried Ben Holmes to force an Argos punt. You like to see solid play from the D-line. So were you satisfied with what you saw from those starters on Saturday? Yeah, I was satisfied. I mean, uh, I'm, not, I'm not expecting them to put up, you know, ungodly numbers. But I think, you know, the run game is going to be stuffed again by the Hamilton Tiger Cats this year. I think that, you know, that's been a, a trait of this defense for a couple years now for for a couple, you know, throughout their history, basically, they've had a hard-nosed defense that's tough to run the ball against, and I think that's going to continue this season. So, uh, I mean, not all the guys were in there. We're still missing Dylan Wynn, of course. Uh, you know, I, I what's his name? Uh, uh, Jagger Davis. What, yeah, Botang Jake, wasn't playing still. No. So Jagger the pieces aren't there, there yet. Jagger Davis. So a lot of those pieces aren't in there yet. So we... It's tough to judge, but from what I saw, you know, those guys that were in the game, they played pretty well. Craig Crawford really impressed me. Uh, number 49, he had four defensive tackles and a pass knockdown. Kind of a bubble. I was talking to some people today at, at camp, and I mentioned Crawford, and I said that he's kind of in that, the next in that lineage of your Lorenzo Maldens, your Malik Carney's, like that unknown American rush end who then gets an opportunity and kind of makes the most of it and solidifies himself. That's what I kind of got out of Trey Crawford. So he's a guy that I'm going to be focusing on on Friday, seeing if he can build on this great performance. And if he, if he ends up making the team and this team has that many solid defensive linemen, that's nothing but good things. No. Well, absolutely. The more depth, the better. I feel like the, the defensive line and the offensive line this year just is stacked with depth. Yeah, it certainly feels that way, which is a far cry from what we've seen over the years with this team. So it's it's a nice change of pace for sure. All right, let's move on to special teams. One of the major breakout players from Saturday was receiver return man Leandre Gallimore. Fans are starting to call him Speedy G, but I don't know, Mike. Where do you stand on the nickname Speedy G? I don't think I like it. It's too similar. Too similar to Steve. I, I, I get it's kind of creative, but uh, yeah, it's too similar to Speedy B for me. Yeah, yeah same here. I'm just... Uh, I think I think we can find a better nickname for the guy. Uh, but anyway, he took the third Argos punt of the game, 84 yards to the house on a fantastically executed punt return. He also contributed offensively, catching all three of the passes thrown his way for 22 yards. I said in my postgame column for Three Down Nation that I thought Gallimore could have played himself into a roster spot with what he did on Saturday. What were your first impressions from this? Of What were your first impressions of the diminutive speedster when you saw him play on Saturday? Uh, my thoughts were we got another gunner at the, uh, at the return position. I mean, we, sure. we've been cranking them out for years now. And 
Also, one of my thoughts were, hey, Jeff Reinbold's back, and, and one of the first returns is a touchdown. So um, Jeff's back where he belongs, and looks like we found another speedy guy to to return the ball. And we mentioned it earlier. You know, if the guy can do it like a Frankie Williams, if he can do the return game and then be a, a defensive back, so be it. But in a perfect world, you like them to be separate, right? Because you don't want that wear and tear on a guy playing two positions in this day and age. So if Gallimore can be the starting returner and then Woods can just be uh, the starting cornerback uh, with, you know, maybe here and there throwing him in in the return game, I'd be happy with that. Does Gallimore remind you of Chris Williams? Like his, the way he moves, his size, like he's, I think he's a little bit bigger than Chris Williams was, but when I saw him returning punts in practice and then uh, on Saturday, I got real big Chris Williams vibes from him. Do you see the same thing or do you think I'm off my rocker? I didn't notice that, but I will look. I will Pay look attention closer. on Friday. Pay yeah, I will Friday. for sure. Yep. So do you think that, are you, do you agree with me? Do you think he's played himself onto the roster? Do you think he's going to be, do you, th- do you think he's going to start the season as a return man? Do you think, because last year in the final preseason game, also against the Argos, interestingly enough, that's when I think Lawrence Woods made the team because he had the big return touchdown, and then he became the, the the primary guy. Do you think in just in just one preseason game that Gallimore has done enough to earn himself a roster spot and become this team's primary return guy this year? That's a tough one. I'm not sure if it's enough. Um, I'm going to put it on pause uh, until the next game, see what he does, see if he has an opportunity. But maybe, yeah, maybe they've seen enough, and maybe he's locked down as that returner spot already. It, it's funny, though, because he had the big return, and then I don't know if you saw the next one, but it was another one where he he, he did a little bit too much, lost some yardage. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. kind of the, uh, you know, the the good and the bad of, of what we see out of out of r- rookie return guys in the CFL. They make one amazing play, and then they think they got to do that mm-hmm. every single time. Don't take yeah. what they what you can get, and it backs you up. But again, we're, you're, you get those mistakes from veteran guys. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, we saw it from uh, Brandon Banks back in the day, you yeah. know, trying to make that. Extra he thought, move, he, thought right? he could take everyone to the house. Yep. Yeah. And that's what the mentality you want out of your returner. Right. So there you're going to, you're going to get those occasionally as well. All right. So the kicking and punting game is suddenly an open competition. And I feel like you and I jinxed this when we, when we covered, we did like our roster breakdown and we we're like, well, kicking and punting, we don't got anything to worry about. But last year's breakout star, Seth Small, still nowhere to be found. Word is, not anywhere close to coming to camp. Uh, there's there's rumors that there's a a contract dispute. I don't know how true that is, but he's not here, and they gave his number to another player. So make of that mm. what you will. Both kickers and punters had a chance to show their stuff on Saturday. Did any of the four stand out to you in any significant way? Well, one of the punters did. I think it must have been Hayes. Um, was, he, are you talking? You talking about you talking about the pin in the ball to one? Yes, was that, was that, Bailey, that was Bailey Flint. Oh, look at that! Okay, so Bailey Flint, that was a, that was a very nice punt. That was gorgeous. Yeah, just beautiful. Uh, I, what was uh, Radke? Did he kick field goals? How did he, that? He had, go? he had he had he had one. He had the first field goal, uh, and it was Garibay that had the second. The the kind of game clinching, put him up by eleven with you know a minute and a half left. Right. So you know. I wish, you know, Seth Small was so good last year, and I wish that that wasn't going on, whatever's going on. I wish he was in camp. I wish he was our, our starting kicker right now. But, uh, you know, I don't really have much to say about the kid, kick, 
the kicking game, but the the punting looked pretty decent to me. So here's what I'm going to talk. This we're going to get a little off track here, but I think be, last year it seemed as if, and again maybe this was due to Dane's uh, issues with confidence, but it seemed like last year they were happy to settle for field goals. This year, with Bo back there, I feel as if it's touchdown or bust for them. And I know that that's, you know, well, duh, idiot. It's touchdown or bust every single offensive drive. But it feels to me as if we'll get into, like, second and nine situations, and it'll be, like, take the check down, and Bo will instead look to still pick up the first down. You know what I mean? Like, only mm-hmm. go to the check down if he absolutely has to. Yeah. And so I, I'm I'm still concerned about the, whenever you bring in new kickers, especially if you've had a really good one, as we did last year, there's always that concern. I always have that concern of how are they going to do? But I think I'm less concerned with the kicking game simply because I don't think this team is going to be settling for field goals. And I don't think they're going to be kicking many long ones this year. Like, I think it's going to be a very open, high paced, high scoring offense. But yeah, I would still like if I mean if Steph Small returns, like if he's a kicker, does he really need training camp? If we're being completely honest, like if you ever go to a football practice, the kickers pretty much just stand on the sideline and feign like pretend to kick. Like it, they don't do a whole heck of a lot. So I don't the 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 one punt that went out the one. I, I thought the two punters were about equal, but the the Flint kicking the one out of the one. I'm, to me, that's. Again, I he was there. I think he was the second overall pick in the global draft a couple of years ago. So I think they're really high on him. But I guess it just it's it's one of the few things I guess we got to pay attention to on Friday. If uh, we don't really have much else to to worry about when you look at this roster, so I guess I guess you and I will be talking a lot of kickers next week. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate that uh, Seth isn't there, but uh, once again we have to be worried about the kicking situation going into the season. But like you said, hopefully. The offense is so good that uh, we won't be kicking many field goals. For sure. And if, if the kicking game is your biggest concern, I think your team's roster is mm-hmm. pre- pretty, 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 pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, so I know the game doesn't matter. I know some salty Argos fan was in our mentions talking about this being our Grey Cup. But regardless of some slapdick asshat trying to rain on the parade, you have to be pretty pleased with what you saw from the team on Saturday, preseason game or not, right? Yeah, absolutely. Especially that first half going into... Uh, Going into halftime, being up 17 to nothing, and just the way that Bo Levi Mitchell performed out there and the offensive line and the offense as a whole, uh, I'm pretty pleased with this performance. All right, so we're going to move on now to talk about some Ticats news and notes from the past week. Training camp continued on Monday as the team has three full practices remaining and one walkthrough before they break camp and have to make some roster cuts following their final preseason game against the Montreal Alouettes on Friday. My main focus on Monday was kind of looking and seeing what the status was of some of the team's injured players. Last Thursday, we broke the news on Twitter that receiver Anthony Johnson was carted off the field after suffering a lower body injury late in that day's session. He was back today, which was a good sign, but not in uniform or taking part in any drills. But given that it looked, when when you see a player carried off the field by an offensive lineman like Bride, you know, like carrying, you know, the stereotypical carrying the bride over the threshold the way you carry the way that looks, that's how he was being carried off the field. Then he was on the cart. The look on his face was like, Oh, this is season ending knee injury. Bad to see him back today. He was wearing simply a sleeve, like a leg sleeve on his leg. 
didn't look to be limping. It didn't look, it just looks as if there's a, there's definitely an injury there, something to his right leg, but it doesn't look that it's, it's serious. That's a, that's a really good sign. Now we discussed that. I think he's already kind of seated his, his once thought starting position, but the fact that he'll maybe later in the year be able to compete again to get back into the lineup and that it's not a devastating injury is a very good sign, right? Yeah, absolutely. You never want to see anyone get injured. And uh, I think we've been, you know, knock on wood, pretty good with, you know, the not a ton of injuries in this training camp so far for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And it's great news to hear that he was back at practice because, like you said, it didn't look good uh, at training camp this past week. No. So global defensive lineman Chris Malumba and American linebacker Vosan Joseph, both of whom left Saturday's game due to injury, were also non-participants in camp on Monday as was the regular cast of missing players, such as Chris Van Zyl, Kwiku Boateng, and Jagarit Davis. Van Zyl's still on the veteran injured list or whatever, so I don't even know if it's an injury or if it's just he doesn't want to participate in training camp, which, as a guy that's either is or almost 40, I totally understand. Boateng, of course, is coming off uh, the torn Achilles from last year, so that makes sense. Davis not Davis participated in one day of camp and he's been a non-participant since. I, I think that might be a little bit of a worry. But what about you? Any of these injuries concern you as we creep closer and closer to the start of the regular season, or or are you were you so are you so confident in this team's depth that even if these guys are are big name guys, them missing time doesn't really worry you any? Uh, I, I I'm not I'm not really worried about these guys. I think that they're just vets. Uh, that's my presumption that they're just, you know, kind of skipping training camp. Um, and, and like you said, I don't blame them. Like I'm close to 40 and I wouldn't want to be out there getting banged around during training camp either. So if they're saving themselves for the season, I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, I think they'll be okay along the offensive line without Van Zyle. Uh, like you said, Riley's been doing a great job there. Uh, you know, Saxlid, I don't know what's going on with him either. So that's another guy that's uh, a depth for the offensive line. So I'm not really over concerned with Davis on the D line or Van Zyl along the offensive line. All right. So as far as other stuff I saw on Monday, just a quick rundown. Bo had an absolutely um, like it was it was quite literally the perfect pass to Chris Osikusi, who himself has quietly had a really good camp and doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, it went for a long touchdown during 12 on 12 drills. There was maybe a dozen or so people and, and a lot of, it, it elicited a loud cheer from the fans in attendance. It was, it was a heck of a throw. Uh, Matthew Schiltz, who probably had his best day of camp on Monday, also had a beautiful touchdown pass of his own to Terry Godwin. Schiltz's last week was better than the first, like I thought in the first week he was terrible. The second week, it was a little bit better. Today, it was even better than that. So he started to ramp up, which is nice to see because there's the possibility he's going to have to see some time given Bo's, you know, spotty recent injury history. Hopefully, hopefully Bo doesn't get hurt, but it looks like Schultz is kind of ramping up into being that quarterback that we we saw last year. Other than that, though, man, like because of the game, it's really I, I feel like the training camp updates are not as interesting or, because yeah. now you get to see what the guys look like. I just... It's just nice to kind of see see some stuff carry over. And the big thing that I've noticed, and this it was it was definitely there today, but it's kind of been there the entire time that I haven't really mentioned, is sort of the and this is gonna sound weird, but the vibe around camp and around this team feels different this year. I can't really put my finger on it. Like maybe it's just the Bo's there and he's the leader and he's 
they're taking on his personality versus what they had previously. Cause like Bo is like, we always thought Bo was a jerk because he's brash. He's confident and, you know, borderline arrogant, but that also can permeate to the rest of the team. You know what I mean? Whereas mm-hmm. with Dane and with, with Mazzoli, they're much more laid back Mazzoli in particular, but even, and, and Dane was going through his mental health struggles last year. But this year's camp, it feels more upbeat, more vibrant, more confident than I've seen in, in, in a few years now. I'm just curious, with what you saw on Saturday, did that tra- do you feel like that translating it? Like, did you get the same sort of vibe watching on TV that's like, there's a different sort of, for lack of a better word, swagger with this mm-hmm. team this year? I, I think so, and I think that's a big part of what, what Bo brings to the team. Yeah. and. Uh, like you said, I was never a big fan of his, but I think I was equating it to if I had to work with Bo Levi Mitchell in the real life, in real mm-hmm. world, like yeah, in my job, some arrogant guy coming in thinking he knows everything, but it's different in pro sports, right? Like you want a guy that can come in and he takes over. He is the leader of the offense and no one questions it, right? So this is what the Tiger Cats might have been missing that kick in the ass, like I'm in charge. You better do things right. Or you're going to hear about it. And that's not to take anything away from Dane, but that's just not how Dane operates. Right. So maybe Bo coming in there and being more assertive is what this team needs. And it wasn't how Mazzoli operated. And I'm not entirely sure it's how Zach operated, especially because he was really early in his starters tenure. You know what I mean? Like the last quarterback that really might've been like, you know, take the bull by the horns type of guy was, was Hank. And mm-hmm. that's the last quarterback we got from Calgary. And I mean, Hank's first year in, in Hamilton was statistically impressive. And then his second year gets him to the gray cup. I mean, if, if it's a repeat of that, I, I mean, I, I hope this year's not just statistically impressive from Bo, but it's also wins on the field to go, go along with that. I mean, Bo's never really been a big stats guy. He, he's been more about winning mm-hmm, a ton winning, of football games. Yeah. So if he brings that with him to Hamilton, it it just feels as if this team, I don't know. I, I just watch these guys and, and we talked about Bo a lot and, and because he, and I think this is the case is that because I've, I've had this conversation with other people about Simone. We love some Ty cats fans love Simone Lawrence. If Simone Lawrence played for another team, he'd be public enemy number one in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And so I understand why other fan base dislike him. But now that I've seen Bo here, I see him interacting with fans who ask for autographs. I see him interacting with fans who ask for pictures. Like I see, I see him on the sidelines at camp after a mistake is made. And you know, when you used to be like, Oh, he throws his hands up. It looked like he was blaming his receivers. Mm-hmm. Now I'm seeing the, but and that's just the stuff they would show on TV. And, and I was 100% on board with you. It's like, he's showing up his guys. He's, it was the whole thing. Oh, it's not my fault. He screwed up. But then they come back to the sidelines and because like, you can hear them talking because I'm three, four, five, six rows away. It's like, this is what I saw. And the receiver goes, well, this is what I saw. And he's like, okay, so now I get, I can get in your head and wonder why you did that thing. And it's a lot of, it's a lot more teaching. Right. And do you think maybe he's been humbled a little bit as well? That might be it as well. Going through the Calgary stuff, you know, being brushed aside for a new younger arm. Maybe he's got a little bit more humbleness in him. Oh, that chip that on his shoulder. Even a, I don't chip, even think that's a word, but you know, no, but he's more chip, humble. He's more humble. <laughs> sure. But that chip on your shoulder you talked about, it's there. I can yep. see that it's there, but he also, maybe he's in a different environment. Orlando Steinhauer is much more of a people person than John Huffnagel 
and Dave Dickinson are. So it's a, he's he's dealing with a different coaching staff. He's not co- he's coming into the team yes to be sort of the quote unquote franchise savior, but he can look across the roster and go. Simone's been here ten years. Teddy's been here ten years. Like there's other veterans who can, for lack of a better phrase, show him the way as it comes to Tiger Cats yeah. football. And Dude, he's not like there's a lack of talent around him either. No. I mean, these guys, the offense, like, I know, uh, you're probably sick of hearing me talk about this offensive line, but Ever. Bo's going to be protected, and Bo's going to have weapons to throw to, and he's going to have a check down, a great check down guy in James Butler. I, I just don't see how he could not succeed this season with this team around him. Yeah, and it's, but it's not just Bo. Like, and if it was only Bo that had, because you hear a lot about players from other teams. We heard a ton about Duke Williams last year and Duke Williams was a problem. This, that, and the other. I mean, I left, I left camp today and he was coming off the field and there was a kid had to be no more than four years old wearing a, a Simone Lawrence Jersey. Duke comes over, takes his gloves off, signs him and gives them to the kid. Not because anyone was watching. Cause like he didn't notice that, that we were watching as we, as we left. But that's just what he does. And I've seen Duke's teaching guy. Like, if you go, there's a video with Keandre Smith on the Ticats website. He talks about Bo and Duke kind of taking him under, taking him under their wing, teaching him the way. Duke's had this great sort of trash talk rivalry with Lawrence Woods. Like, it seems as if they're the best of friends, but they're on opposite sides. And, like, Duke caught a touchdown pass today in, uh, in, in, in 12 on 12s and immediately turned around and threw the ball at Lawrence Woods and Lawrence Woods catch the ball. And he's looking around like, what, what, what did I do? And Woods wasn't in coverage. Like Duke saw it, It's been all that negative stuff. We heard about some of these guys from other places does not seem to be here. Now the caveat to that is they haven't gone on a three game losing streak yet. Let's see what right. practice looks like, or let's see what the vibes are around this team when the start of the season happens and they're heading into Labor Day and they're five and four and they've lost two of their last three or they've lost four. You know what I mean? Like maybe things will be different then. But as of right now, from what I've seen these guys, when people aren't looking, I that kind of ratchets up this idea that the vibes around this team this season are much different than I've seen in the last couple of years. Now, the, has, I heard that uh, has Duke Williams slimmed down a little bit. Duke's a little the, the big guy that slimmed down is Teddy. Teddy okay. is like Teddy has, and we talk. I think we talked about it on the live show. Teddy slimmed down significantly. Duke does look more mobile, but he's still he's still a big dude. Like he's still yeah. that physically imposing presence. But he does he does look like he's more mobile. Does look a little more agile. And I think just because Teddy's transformed his body so much, like I think that's been more noticeable than than maybe what Duke did. And because I've seen I've seen Teddy here now for how many years? So. I'm I'm used to. I belly, I know what his belly, body belly Teddy. Like. Yeah, yeah. Like I know what his body looks like more so than I do what what Dukes may have looked like in the past. But I don't know. Dukes is still definitely a physically imposing guy. Um, the other piece of news that we did not get to cover last week because we did the live show and then this happened after that is the return of Alex Fontana, who joined the team uh, last Monday after being cut earlier in the month. The Ticats are dealing with some injuries to their Canadian offensive linemen, most notably Chris Van Zyl, who we already talked about, who has yet to suit up for camp, and Kyle Saxlid, who was out with an ailment until late last week. But he, I think he played in the game on Saturday. I, I didn't look. I should have. He was listed on the on the roster, so perhaps he played. But he was back kind of in full participant mode today at, at camp, either way, whether he played on Saturday or not. But they opted to bring back a player familiar with the schemes who I guess wouldn't take much time to get up to speed. What were your thoughts? Because I think I was, I think I texted you that Fontana was, mm-hmm. and 
what were kind of your initial thoughts when, when I sent you the message that they brought back a guy that they had cut less than two weeks ago at that time? Surprised just because of that reason, right? I mean, he wasn't, he was released uh, very recently. Um, something, I guess, changed in their minds to bring him back, but uh, I'm all for it. I mean, the more depth, the better. I mean, he's a guy that was a high, uh, high draft pick first round, in his first day. round pick, I think. First round pick. So, uh, you know, he was out of football for a couple of years. Didn't perform that well when he when he was starting for the Tiger Cats last season. But, you know, maybe it just took him to take some time to get back into pro football. I think he was out for about two, maybe even three years. So uh, I like him as, as a backup center. Obviously, Beard's going to be the guy. But uh, to have him in the backup position is a good thing. That's just it. As perhaps the sixth or seventh offensive lineman. I don't think it's uh, it's all that bad. So it's it was an, it was interesting when I when I showed up at McMaster that day and sat down and I was like Fontana. Well, they didn't announce this yet. And then immediately, like thirty seconds later, I get the alert that oh the Thai Cats have made some roster moves. And but yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, he. I can't tell you how he's looked because I haven't paid that much attention to him. Like, I do wonder if maybe he's brought in as one of these depth guys because he's familiar with the system. Like I said. And then perhaps he's one of the guys that gets cut in the last round of cuts. We'll we'll have to wait until that's not coming now for probably uh, I think they have to do it by Sunday night at midnight. Maybe it's Saturday. I, I can't exactly remember, but eh, I mean it's interesting nonetheless. They bring a guy back to that some familiarity. I guess that's just uh it makes more sense to bring in some new like finding another yeah. Canadian, bringing someone who knows nothing. It doesn't. It's not going to take Fontana much to get up to speed. So I guess it makes sense for me as well. All right, we have gone, we're like an hour into this, and we've only discussed Kai-Cat stuff, which I'm sure most of our, our listeners are not unhappy about. We've done the game. We've done training camp. Let's just jump into the game. We're going to play a game of fill-in-the-blank. You ready to play, M-Bone? Yep, let's do it. All right, so the first veteran casualties of camp occurred over the last couple of weeks as linebacker defensive back Patrick Levels and sack master Sean Lemon were both let go by the Ottawa Red Blacks and BC Lions, respectively. Neither player has found a new home as of yet, but I can't imagine either of their careers are over. So, Mike, between Levels and Lemon, the player who will find a new home first will be blank. I'm going to go with Patrick Levels. Uh, you know, Sean Lemon was a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year last year in the West Division. I think he was up. He was nominated. No, he was. I, I, he was. He was yeah, the he West was. nominee for Defensive Player of the Year. There we go. I shouldn't doubt myself. Uh, so, but it's just funny how he bounces around so much, you know. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why. Is it because he's just a one-dimensional pass rusher? I, I have no clue, to be honest with you. But uh, for that reason alone, I just think he's played for so many teams that who's really left and who has uh, an opening and that defensive end spot. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Patrick Levels. And I believe Patrick Levels is a bit younger than Sean Lemon as well. Yeah, see, I'm going to go with Lemon simply because of the position he plays. Yes, he's 35. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He's bounced around to like, oh, geez, it's over a dozen teams now over his career, both NFL and CFL. Levels have been on the market a lot longer. He was like a day three cut by the Red Blacks, whereas Lemon was cut a few days after that. I just think that you can never have two. Like, look at the Ticats roster, for instance. I don't think he's coming to the Ticats, so we, I think we can nip that in the bud. They do not need another veteran pass rusher. I mean, I think they have too many as it is. But you can never really have too many pass rushers, right? Like, 
we talk about the depth this team has on the defensive line and we salivate over it. So it'd be kind of silly to say other teams wouldn't want to have him. I don't know where he could end up. Uh, I mean, he, his, his BC and Toronto seem to be the places he, and Calgary, I guess, seem to be the place he keeps bouncing in between of with, with stops in other places as well. Maybe but Winnipeg, you could put him in a rotation with, uh, with like Willie and Jeff. Yeah. They're getting up there in age. Maybe that'd be a good idea. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just tough to nail down a spot he would land. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I guess it's similar with levels and I agree with you, like yeah. him being younger also could play a factor in that. I just think the position, the positional need teams will always find a, a justification for signing another pass rusher. So that's why I think lemon might be the guy that finds his home first. All right. It wouldn't be a CFL season if we weren't complaining about halftime shows, Mike, the Montreal Alouettes announced that Canadian rock band, our lady peace will be performing the halftime show for the Alouettes home opener on June 10th against the Ottawa red blacks. So Mike, our lady peace playing Montreal's home opener is blank. 1997. <laughs> better than 1987 I, though better than 1987 yes i will agree and I, I i saw some bickering on on online about you know comparing saskatchewan i think saskatchewan had um kim mitchell. Announced kim mitchell there you go it's kim mitchell's just like married to the cfl like the great cops and all <laughs> that he seems to be always there um our lady peace was a band that was popular when we were growing up when we were teenagers yep. So yes, it is a younger generation than Kim Mitchell w- would appeal to, but it's not like Our Lady Peace is going to be getting out, you know, young kids these days. So uh, it's fine. Like I, I, I wouldn't complain. I'd watch Our Lady Peace play, but I don't think it's really uh, a groundbreaking stop from the Montreal Alouettes. Yeah, for me, it's not a step, but a shuffle in the right direction. Like I said, you said it's 1997. I said, well, better than 1987. So at least they're they're moving up. But I, I'm with you. Like I saw people, the the, the Kim Mitchell Our Lady Peace thing. It's like, okay, guys, like this is like two pots calling each other pots. You know, like it, yeah, you're not gonna get like I don't the, even know. Like I'm, I don't know who's popular these no, days, but do I, I don't think they because be- we're old men, Mike. We're old men. We don't know what's popular anymore. Exactly. They're not going to be playing at CFL halftime shows, basically. No, but like, and that that's the thing. It's like, people are like, Our Lady Peace, that's like, oh, they're young and hip or whatever. They're not. <laughs> they're, they're, they're nostalgic for people like us who are in or approaching their 40s. Like, Our Lady Peace was big when I was in the in grade eight and grade nine. Like, yeah. 1997, like 96, 97, 98. That was Our Lady Peace's heyday. That was 25 freaking years ago like yes that's better than kim mitchell who hasn't had a chart topping song in like 30 plus years but to act as if oh montreal did it right but saskatchewan did it wrong is dumb like you're you're arguing you're still you're still arguing like that's why i said a shuffle forward because it's like yeah okay it's a little bit better now instead of appealing to 60 year olds you're appealing to 45 year olds but this isn't the hot young act that's going to and again I say this while, but while also saying no halftime show is ever going to attract. No one is going to watch a football game. And I don't know how many times it's this because of the halftime. Act. Maybe you'll get some eyeballs on the end of the second quarter, beginning of the third quarter. Maybe you'll maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe someone who's like, I can't afford our lady peace tickets, but I can certainly afford an Alouette's ticket. will show up and go to the game again. But those people are 50 years old. You know what I mean? Like it's not, I don't know. Like it's, it's fine. 
if if you're an early peace fan and you're in Montreal, good for you. You get to go see a band you like at the at a while cheering for the team you like. But to me, this just feels like kind of more of the same, but just a, a little bit better than what we're used to getting. It's not Trooper. It's not you know, I I what other like how come how come uh B uh B A Johnston's not playing half right. for, yeah. for the Cats? Like I want I want at halftime of Labor Day. The hot new act like that. I love you as much as the Toronto Argos suck. I need that to be played at Tim Hortons Field this year, live and in person. But anyway. If you want to be hip, if you want to be hip and, and with the scene, then you got to have B.A. Johnson performing. You just have to. It's the only way to do it. All right, last one here, Mike. The Toronto Argos debuted their full new uniforms after early in the month revealing their new helmets. We discussed our feelings on the helmets when they were unveiled, but now that the whole kit is out, we have to get back into it. So, Mike, after seeing the Argos' new uniforms in full, your opinion on them is blank. Mixed. I, I like the whites more than I like the uh, baby blues or whatever you want to call whatever blue that is. Um, and it's funny because I did like the powder blue San Diego Chargers jerseys back in the day. But this, I just, it's too much of that one color. You know, the helmets, the, the jersey, the pants. I, I don't like the uh, the home jerseys, but the away white ones are, are okay with me. My opinion on them has not changed from my opinion on the helmets. I think they're awful. I saw them in person because they were here on Saturday. It's too much blue. It's too much one color of blue. They needed some of that darker blue to offset all of that lighter blue the oars on the – I don't care. People are like, oh, they're oars on the – they look like wings. Everyone thinks they're wings. Everyone's initial thing was they look like either the Al signature jerseys and a, or a friend of mine sent me and said, why do the Argos have uniforms that the Oregon Ducks would have worn 10 years ago? They look like wings. I don't care that they're oars. They look like wings. If, if you have to tell – it's like it's like explaining a joke, right? If you have to tell people what they are, you did a bad job with it. I just think it's too much of one – like you're the goddamn double blue. Use mm. two blues. Yeah. Like it, like, and I know the tie cats. It's predominantly black, and like, I I made mention that I didn't like the uniforms, and I got some backlash for it in, in my three down piece. And it's like, well, the tie cats uniforms aren't great. I agree. I don't think the tie cats uniforms are great. The difference is though, black goes with everything. Like, you can wear black, and it's just it's just black. It's not like if if the tie cats colors were purple and gold, and they wore an all purple uniform, you don't think we'd all be making Barney the dinosaur jokes like. The arg- it, it's too much of one color. They needed either to keep the darker blue helmet or go with the light blue helmet with a darker blue. Maybe you go dark blue pants or like I do think the I don't like an all white look. I do think the all white look looks cleaner than, and, and maybe maybe it's more traditional than the than the all um the all blue look. I just feel like and this is this is not the first time I've done like most of the Argo uniforms like those the ones they just had were was all dark blue like you're calling you you go by the moniker the double blue and yet you don't accentuate both blues it just doesn't make any sense to me i i these are a miss for me like we're we're ranking all the uniforms i think there's 24 different uniform combinations from from the nine cfl teams and these ones got my lowest rankings i absolutely hate these i know people are gonna say well you don't like the argo it's like no man those reebok redesigns like the ricky ray era argos uniforms which were pretty plain they were just blue jerseys with some nice shoulder stripes. I thought those were the best ones out there. So it's not an, it's not a Toronto thing. It's not an Argos thing. 
I just don't find these appealing. You mentioned the San Diego Charger powder blues, but they had some yellow to contrast with that. I think the yeah. pants they wore yeah. were white and the helmets were white. Like it wasn't just all powder blue. You need other colors in there to break things up. Like one of the reasons I don't like the Ticats uniforms is, especially when they wear the all black. I, I, yes, it's intimidating. And like when they do the blackout games, and everyone's wearing black and the team's wearing black. It looks cool. Why can't we get some some stripes on the pants just to break it up? Like I want, I don't need just solid single colors. It'd be nice to have a little break there. And the Argos don't really provide that with their uniform. So ah, they're, they're just a miss for me all the way around. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, I'm pretty much the same thinking as you. I know that we kind of differ on the, the boat logo. I think the boat logo is pretty cool. I know that you're not a huge fan of it. I've but... come around on it a little bit over the last little while. Like I, I okay. do think, I think, I think it's I think it's creative compared to you know yeah. all the other logos. Yeah, you I'll have give to give you it that. that at least. I okay. just I just always I just always thought that the uh, the the A and the shield just looked really clean. You know what I mean? I like, like the I like the 1991 era A. Uh, oh, you know, the okay. Rocket Ishmael jerseys. Yeah. I like those. I like those. Yeah, I mean it's. I, I think we did. I think it was a year ago we did it when I said it was. I think I said it was the worst logo. I I, I I've, I'm backpedaling on that a little bit. I think. As I've gotten more used to it, I think it's 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 grown on me a little bit more. I just don't think it's a great logo, but it, it's, it's it is it is very plain. But I just overall, maybe it's like a nostalgia thing for me. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just like to look at those uh, the uniform as a whole back in the day. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, before we get out of here for this week, we have to discuss one final thing, and that is Mike. We're doing our first game preview of the year. We are going to discuss Hamilton's final preseason game, which takes place on Friday in Montreal against the Alouettes. This is the first time, obviously, the Ticats will travel to Montreal since falling to the Owls in last year's East semifinal. A lot has changed for both teams since then, and this game obviously does not have anywhere near the stakes that their previous encounter had. But, Mike, there's still a football game to be played. It is preseason. There's still some things to look out for. What are you looking for as you get ready to watch Hamilton's final preseason game on Friday? Well, first of of all in the cornerback positions I'm, I'm looking at that boundary side cornerback again and i know that uh george jr uh you know he, he played for a good portion of the game previously but i want to see how him and Sutherland, you know battle it out in this second preseason game i'm, I'm going to keep an eye uh, on the field side corner even though it, it looks like lawrence woods has locked down that job i want to see him again out there see if anyone else stands out like lawson or davis see if they uh bring their a games um, obviously the offensive line and Bo uh, are a big thing again. I'm not sure how much time Bo Levi Mitchell is going to get in this second game because I think we saw what we need to see from him in that first game. Maybe he'll just get a series or two like he did in the first preseason game. And, and obviously uh, I'm looking at how these wide receivers play out again. Like you said, McGriff had a really good game. He he looks to be that starting receiver on on the boundary side at that wide side position. Um, we'll see if some of these injured guys come back, right? I want to see if, uh, the defensive line, some of these guys come back and, and see how they're looking. So there's a lots of stuff to look at at this next game and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. To me, I think I'm looking to have, I know this might sound silly, but to kind of have my already semi entrenched opinions verified, like mm-hmm. the guys that I've watched. And again, this, this is the, the, reward rewards not the right word but this is this is what you get for having been at training camp like and again I'm, that's not disparaging of anyone who can't because most people it's not their jobs to go down to training camp and watch guys practice 
but having seen what what they do in practice, then seeing that in the game, like there weren't a lot of surprise. Like, well, you mentioned going back to the top of the show, I had talked about oh McGriff's this, McGriff's that, but he has a case to drop season. What did we see in the first game? He looked great, but the very first play of the game he dropped a pass. Like, so it wasn't a surprise to see him perform to that level. So to me, it's like let me see what I've seen throughout these these dozen or so training camp sessions. Let's see if that comes into the game. If do guys step up and play better? Do guys play down? Honestly, out of this game, because of what we saw on Saturday, I think I saw a lot of what I already needed to see. I don't know if there's necessarily a ton more to learn from Friday. I really just want them to get out of the game healthy. There were a couple of injuries. Yeah. They they haven't had any sort of devastating injuries. Cedric Wilcots might be the only one. He, uh, he's a backup defensive lineman. He's been on crutches and an air cast the, uh, for eh, a little less than a week now. So some, uh, he got rolled up on or something happened to his ankle or foot. That looks like the only long-term injury the team has suffered. Everything else looks like it's either veterans taking time off, guys coming back from injuries or little nicks and knocks here and there. I just really hope that no one no one gets hurt. I don't know if Bo's going to play in this one at all. I'm sure he'll dress simply because – like Matthew Schultz didn't play on Saturday, but he dressed – because I think you want to dress three quarterbacks on the off chance that something happens to one of them. I think Schultz missed some time at the end of last week. So I think that he was held out as a precaution. I think he, him and Powell see the vast, if Bo comes in, it's again, it's another two series, one or two series cameo. I think if at all, cause I don't think, like you said, I don't think you need to see more from him. I think he came in, you saw what he could do. You go, okay, he's ready to go. Like there's, there's no yep. more that you could, there's no more value. And, and, um, Orlando Steinhauer said the same thing. He's like, I, there's nothing to evaluate with Bo. I know what Bo's going to do. I'm not worried about Bo. So it really would just be give him a couple of series to to keep keep himself in the flow of like you know not knock the rust off, but you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. stay stay in game shape, I guess, um, to get ready for the opener against Winnipeg. So to me, it's just like just get out of there healthy. Like I don't care what the final score is. I neither do you, obviously, but no. it's it's more of just. This is what I've seen throughout the last two and a half, or by the time the game happened, the last two and a half weeks. Let's see if that continues into this game because I did see a lot of stuff translate into the first one. It's a road test, so guys are gonna like it. It's easy to play. You're having your first preseason game in front of friendly fans. I think is a lot easier to do than playing it in front of road fans. So now they get they've got the home one out of the way. They go on the road. Let's see what they can do in a hot, more hostile environment. Though it's not not like it's gonna be regular season playoff or even regular season atmosphere. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's just uh, let's see more of what we saw on Saturday, and maybe some guys clean up some mistakes. See, see if guys have taken can take what they learned on Saturday, what they've learned throughout camp, and and put it into into practice in the game. That's that's about really all I'm looking for out of this one. And like I said, just come out of it as as healthy as possible. I don't want to see any sort of major injuries coming out of out of uh, Friday's game that will hamper this team to start the season uh, a week, the week after that in Winnipeg. Yeah. And just maybe one other thing, it'd just be interesting to see who, if Riley's still that starting guy at the mm-hmm. right tackle position. And if, you know, Saxlid or Van Zyl dress for this game, I'm not sure their injury, you know, or what's going on with them, but it'll be interesting to see the depth chart when it comes out. Yeah. I expect Saxlid to be on the depth chart. I, I'd be shocked if Chris, like, if Chris yeah. Van Zyl is going to play, his the first time he's going to play will be regular uh, season. the regular season game. And the, th- yeah. the thing is, though, is that there will be three days of practice. 
I guess they, their first regular season game is on, on Friday, so they probably travel on Thursday. It means they'll be practiced Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. That'll be the chance to – I mean, we're going to record probably after the first day of practice, real practice at Tim Hortons Field next week. I'll be able to come on here and let you know if Chris Van Zyl is suited up or if this is a more long-term injury. But we're also going to have roster cuts, and, and they'll have to move guys to six-game or one-game injury list, and that'll give us an idea of just what the uh, starting lineup will look like in week one against Winnipeg. So there'll be a lot for us to talk about. When we, when we come back next week, but uh, we're going to be back on Friday. We're going to do uh, after the game, we're going to do the first post game installment of what I'm calling. We're live pal to discuss everything that happened in the Ticats preseason finale against the Alouettes. What do you think, Mike? I kind of came up with the name on my own, but I mean, our love of wrestling and yeah, it, it makes sense. Pretty pretty. Hey. Come on. I, I can take credit for coming up a pretty good name. Can I? Absolutely, and I think it's better than the post-game instant reactions. You know, it's just, it just yeah, exactly. So we're live, pal. It is much shorter and much better. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Uh, and next week, Mike, when we get together on Monday, you know what it is, don't you? What next week's show is? Uh, season preview time, my friend. Season preview, baby. One of the best times of the year. We are both going to go on the record with all of our CFL picks for the upcoming season, including, of course who we think will meet in the 110th Grey Cup here in Hamilton on November 19th, and, of course, who will emerge as the victor. Mike, the regular season is so close. You can take, we, This is the last podcast, not counting live shows, that we will do discussing non-regular season football. Are you, are you ready? Like, this is the time of year you love the most, is it not? Absolutely. Everything is uh, sunshine and rainbows going into the season. I'm looking forward to doing our post-game shows live. We're going we're gonna to hang, hang out for a bit after this is recorded and trying to figure out my audio. So hopefully we'll be ready to go and, and uh, you can hear both of us on the uh, We're Live Pal shows. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't. Oh, man, I always I like the offseason because the roster building stuff. But man, there's just something about the weather's turned warm. Football's here. There's just something about it that that just makes me happy, and and we're gonna be in our house. And I guess you know we saw a pretty good performance from the team on Saturday preseason game or not. That kind of bullies, you know, buttresses the spirits too, does it not? Yeah, and I think there's just a like with the big crowd that they had at the game. I think there's optimism with the the signing of Bo Levi Mitchell. You know, you heard that there was a kind of a a bump in ticket sales after that. Uh, signing was made so I, I think in Hamilton there's a lot of optimism going into the season and it's going to be I think it's going to be an exciting one I think so as well well that was Podskiwi for this week I'm Josh Smith and I'm Mike Graham eat them raw eat them raw